need to feed my spirit. I was once looking. You are a spectre from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode nine, we've got the lovely Tanner Barker. We talk a little bit about his mission to Denver, Colorado in the early 2000s. We cover deep doctrine and the concept of deep doctrine from a post-Mormon perspective. And we get a little vulnerable and talk mental health. Once again, please feel free to reach out with any comments that you might have. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, if you are so inclined and you're enjoying what you hear, please feel free to leave a review and comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, find your podcast to enjoy. Thanks again for listening and please enjoy. Just jumping into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sounds good. Um, I'm Tanner. <clears throat> I, uh, I mean, kind of, I, I don't think the only convert that I think you've had on was uh, that Michael Moore, right? Mm-hmm. Episode two. Everyone else, I've got kind of that same story where both sides of my family, born and raised in the church. Uh, on my mom's side, we go right back to Brigham Young. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my great-grandma's last name was Young, direct descendant. So just born and raised in the church, uh, served a mission, Colorado, Denver South, and uh, left the church, let's see, it was probably like five years ago now, something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, with my wife. Um, So I don't know, that's basically me. Uh, (laughs) um, Obviously, there's a lot more to that story, but that's kind of the background. Yeah, awesome. And, um, you know, I just I reached out to you pretty recently um, through a pretty popular Facebook group. Um, I saw you. Uh, I think it was you that started the, the thread. Um, a pretty yeah. interesting thread on uh, deep doctrine in the mission. Um, so we'll definitely cover that. Probably a, probably a pretty decent chunk of the podcast. Um, I think that'd be That's pretty good. interesting. Um but just kind of jumping back, you served a mission in Denver, Colorado. Um, what year was that? Let's see. That was 2005 to 2007. 2007. Um, were you guys using the Preach My Gospel format at that time? Yeah. Yeah, we were one of the first people tra- groups that were trained in the MTC on Preach My Gospel. So I was 100% Preach My Gospel the whole time. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm interested in... Um, talking to some people that had served missions back in like the early 80s and, and stuff like that. I think that would be very interesting to just kind of dissect it, the differences. Um, yeah, because I was so I was trained by, you know, all of the older missionaries, including my trainer, didn't have preach my gospel. So we still had the flip books. Hmm. We weren't supposed to use the flip books, but the missionaries would like make their own flip books oh, yeah. so that you could kind of go through it still. Hmm. Cause it was a bit of a crutch rather than just kind of yeah. winging it. Like they wanted you to with preach my gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that was so interesting. Just, uh, cause really yeah, you are just winging it, but it's like, I was totally convinced, like, I was being given every word I was supposed to say, you know, giving myself no credit. And so, like, well, maybe you're just, you know, good with people. Maybe you're just a good conversationalist. Um, And that's what makes you, you know, a little better at teaching the lessons. Um, Because let's be honest, some people just are not very good at doing missionary work, you know. That's Um, right. There's Everyone had that uh, companion that you'd have to, like, what do you, I think he was trying to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, oh, my goodness. You, you went on a crazy rant there. Um, but what was uh, kind of your impressions going into uh, Denver, Colorado? Um, I mean, I had that typical reaction of getting that stateside call. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, like, when I put in my papers and stuff, I had – noted everywhere i possibly could like i speak spanish i've taken all this spanish i can do this send me somewhere spanish speaking and then uh 
the call came in and, and it was Denver, Colorado, English speaking. And that's one of the things that uh, some of my uh, companions would talk about is that, and, and we believed it. So like if something comes in and it's crazy, that means it's even more inspired. It's mm. even more of a revelation from on high, right? Yeah. You think that I would immediately react and be like, oh, I wanted to speak Spanish. I'm good at Spanish. And they send me somewhere English speaking. That means that they didn't quite think this through. They didn't actually read what I put into my papers. Mm. But I thought the opposite. I was like, because this is so different than what I was telling the church I wanted to do, that means God really has a different plan for me. It's even mm. more inspired. <laughs> it's just weird new speak way of thinking <laughs> yeah exactly that's interesting um what got you into the deep doctrine on your mission like where did that start I, for you yeah i'd say like it was something that i was super into even before the mission like um i was a zealot i was a fanatic more mm. <laughs> like i was uh from like age nine on I'd get up every fast and testimony meeting. I'd bear my testimony and cry every fast and testimony meeting. And um, I was reading everything that I could. So when my, I'd, it probably was like conversations with my dad mm -hmm. where like they'd, he'd bring up, you know, we could become gods. So, so, God is a God and, and eventually we could become gods that this is deep doctrine. So don't tell everybody, but because we're the smart ones, we're not just Mormons. We're like the inner circle Mormons. We get to talk about this deep doctrine, mm -hmm. the real stuff. And I loved that. I was like, okay, yeah, I like all of this that the church is doing. And now I get this extra stuff. I'm into it. And so I would uh, read like my dad would go to uh, Deseret book and uh, fair, you know, fair. What fair is? Um, remind me. Oh, it's, that's like the so, fair Mormon, like the Mormon apologist stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Back then, it was called farms, mm -hmm. and they would the papers that would get published there. They just like uh, you could you could buy the individual like essays that they would put out. I remember my dad getting me one that was like it discussed the King Follett discourse. Mm. And it had like this commentary on the King Follett discourse. And he'd give me like these random little essays by Hugh Nibley and stuff where it's, it's a little bit like what I was talking about before, where the crazier it sounded, the more true it felt, the more I felt like I'm getting into the real good shit. Now this is like the straight Mormon dope. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it just was a way to kind of, I guess, be even more connected to this uh, church that I was part of. Mm -hmm. um, did you find like a particular community um, on your mission in Colorado, like where you guys always looked forward to getting together because you were going to propound these different theories and, you know, not everyone likes to think about those things. Um, so when you do find a little niche group like that, it's very fun. Yeah, I mean... It was, uh, so I guess I, I've, I have kind of two stories connected to that. One is that, um, so the Colorado-Denver South mission incorporates Denver, and then it goes all the way to the Western Slope, so like Grand Junction and Clifton and um, all of that out in the mountains and on the border with Utah. So when you were, uh, we'd call that servant on the slope. So if you were in Western Colorado, you were serving on the slope and it was like more casual and slower paced a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we would meet, I think it was like every P day we would meet in the morning with the ward mission leader and he would just go into deep doctrine with us. Like that mm -hmm. was the whole thing. And so, uh, it, it's weird because we would, uh, read stuff that wasn't even approved. Like we, we'd break the rules but it was so that we could read extra Mormon stuff. Like instead of just reading the book of Mormon, we could dig into like all these books by W. Cleon Skousen and Truman Madsen, mm -hmm. like you had brought up and he would just kind of teach us all this stuff. And we thought he was a genius. 
And now when I look back, it's just so hilariously stupid. (laughs) All of it is just shallow and nonsensical. But we thought Mm. that we were like particle physicists. Like we were literally the smartest people and we had figured it all out. Mm. It's like, that's why Jesus was able to turn the water into wine, man. He was (laughs) commanding the intelligences in the water and because they uh, love and respect him that's why they were able to that's how he moved mountains and stuff man we could do that like we would just talk about that kind of stuff um, you guys talk about the eye of faith what's what's that one so it was like that it was connected exactly like if you tuned into this thing called intelligences mm-hmm. which joseph smith in doctrine and covenants uh i didn't look up the scripture but he says something like all matter is intelligence yeah. And the glory of God is intelligence. Um, and so you're like, okay, well, that's atoms. That's what everything is made up of. And they can obey you or not. And if they obey you, that's how you have control. And so that's the power that God has. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, we're, we tapped into it. We've got this secret. And that, like you said, it's exactly how uh, Jesus would control water or perform miracles. And you you have to have the eye of faith in order to kind of tap into one while you're reading the scriptures. There's like the stuff it's saying, and then there's the cool stuff that only yes. you know it's saying. Yeah. And and so it, it got even weirder. So there's that. Like we we dig into the scriptures and okay, here's the doctrine. We got into the deep doctrine now. And then I we would um so my companion and I, while we were meeting with this ward mission leader who was teaching us all this deep doctrine and stuff, he would uh, tell us, you've got to develop the eye of faith. And so if you connect to each other on that level, you can do cool stuff. And so one thing that we would do is I would open up my scriptures in between doors while we were knocking and I would start reading a verse and see if I could get him without looking it at it by having him like read my mind or whatever <laughs> through the eye of faith and see if he could figure out what scripture I was looking at. And when, when we could connect that way, that's how we knew like we're tapping into this like magic shit. <laughs> so it would happen like pretty regularly that he was able to get it? No, never. Oh, I was about to say, I was like, <laughs> I was like, geez, wow. If you guys were actually tapping into that, that's crazy. Uh, no, yeah, never would happen. That's interesting. Um, there was not like a particular member or anything that I would like to bring it up. It was always through um, the African missionaries. American missionaries really weren't interested in kind of sitting and like theorizing and stuff too much. Um, but like especially the, the Nigerians I served with loved really digging into like deep doctrines. Um, and so I guess we were breaking the rules a little bit. The way I started getting into it was through shared MP3s. Like the APs like would have these USBs and they would just be filled with like the Joseph Smith papers and like all this history stuff that you could then use in like a district meeting to look extra cool, especially if like president or something was around, um, do, do a little campaigning. But so I learned about, um, like Cleon Skousen and like there were some pretty decent cool like um, like Neil A. Maxwell talks that I got into and all of these guys and then that led me to on P days kind of wanting to google like different talks by Orson Pratt and stuff from the Journal of Discourses because he had some interesting ideas um, did you ever yeah. come across <laughs> any of his stuff like um, or was it primarily just Truman G. Madsen and and Skousen that were like the big hitters in your mission. Yeah. Did, so we, we did that exact same thing. It, it all started like, so first of all, the rules are everything. You've talked about that verbiage on your mission where like, if you're breaking the rules, even a little bit, the word is apostate. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're staying in your apartment for 15 minutes later than when you were supposed to be out knocking. You're apostate. If uh, you're listening to music that wasn't bad music, if you're listening to music that is not within, a, if it if it wasn't older than 100 years, you're an apostate. Um, so 
the first introduction into that was we'd listen to that uh, Truman G. Madsen, Joseph Smith, Among the Prophets. Is that mm-hmm. what it was? Something like that, yeah. Where, where he, he just has that weird cadence, and we were totally into that. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, this is too cool to not listen to. We're just going to do it. And then that's when you like go to BYU speeches and you download all of those mm-hmm. MP3s by Holland and everything. And then that's all we were doing. That's all we were listening to while we were driving or on P days and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's so like one of the things I've been thinking about since, since we were talking on the internet about deep doctrine, like specifically Truman G. Madsen is a good example of how you think that you're getting really deep and learning all this cool new stuff. And then when you look at it in retrospect, it's, it is really shallow. Like I, so the very first thing that he talks about in, in all of those talks, um, he talks about the first vision and he addresses, there's multiple accounts of the first vision. And then his response is after stating all that he did in the account that you've memorized, he said, there were many angels in this vision. And that's just, he lied. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he solved the problem of the contradictions in all of those first vision accounts by just lying about it. Mm-hmm. And and we were just taking it <laughs> uh, at face value. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of a way to let yourself be even more manipulated, yeah. I guess, by, by what they're trying to feed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're being f- so force-fed, like, you know, the idea of, like, authority, you know, and obeying authority, like, throughout the years. So you combine a little authority and some, because Truman G. Madsen had academic credentials, you know what I mean, um, with that cadence and just, like, that authoritative manner of speaking. Yeah. And you just eat it right up. Like, yeah, definitely had no questions. Um, I did, there's still some stuff that I found valuable with Truman G. Madsen, though with some of his talks because he would uh you know he would go into different like philosophical queries i don't know if you guys ever got some of those mp3s where he um so like i do like there was the olive press talk that he gave Mm. and then he gave another one called on how we know um where he talked yeah so i listened to a few of them Mm -hmm. did you have like specific Um, i don't remember like the title but i just um like it kind of spurred a curiosity in me. I guess that would be the benefit, you know, like post mission. Um, but he, there was some talk that I really liked about like uh, free will versus determinism, and you know, like can we ever really have free will, or you know, blah blah blah. So he would compare those things, and I would just feel real cool eating breakfast in the morning, like listening to that. You know what I mean? Um, and he had another one on like. Um, egoism and altruism you know can anyone ever truly have an altruistic act um and there's this example that i think about a lot that he talked about he's like all right you're you're standing on the street you see an old lady struggling to carry some groceries so you walk over and you help her take her groceries inside like that's a good deed and you feel good about that was that an altruistic act or is it an egotistical act because you did it because you would feel good like you wanted to feel good you know yeah and then so like let's and, let's create a, a deeper complex in you so that's the other so like yeah that is good like it introduces you to these cool legit philosophical things that are even cool from a secular perspective mm-hmm. <laughs> but for my money i mean phoebe on friends <laughs> there's a whole episode where phoebe <laughs> talks about that exact same thing mm-hmm. about how ross can't there's not a truly altruistic act. So like we, I guess my whole point is that like you would think that the Mormons have this access to this special corner of the truth that nobody else has just with like, I wanted to like with the Truman G Madsen cadence Mm -hmm. there in my head, I will never stop hearing him say, was this force enervating or energizing my considered answer is both 
And then he would like shout, he'd like, it is both. <laughs> yeah, it was fun, especially with, like when you're 19 <laughs> and stuff, you know. But it is, what, to your point, um, it is very like a, a pop psychology, kind of like very entry level, you know, everything that they're getting into. It is a little, a little shallow. Um, was there ever um, like a crackdown? Like in the mission, like some of these things were getting out and um, it's like, well, the elders, you're not supposed to have this stuff. Yeah, my one of my uh, really good friends on my mission, uh, there was like the zone leaders came around and just did apartment inspections mm -hmm. because nothing belongs to you, not even your privacy, mm -hmm. nothing. And they found, uh, it was just um, books by Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine and uh, Mortal Messiah series. And Prezin was ready to send him home for having these uh, Bruce R. McConkie books. Mm. Like, how Mormon could you possibly be? And he's like, no, we're going we're gonna to get rid of you. Like, <laughs> mm. send you home for having these books that we don't want you to read right now. We only want you to read Preach My Gospel and The Standard Works. And then there was like Jesus the Christ, yeah, and marvelous work and a wonder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I never really delved into. I liked Bruce R. McConkie, some of his talks. Um, like he had a, a pretty good one, you know. Back then, um, I considered it good on repentance. Like, what think ye of? Uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ or something like that uh, is how it's titled. And he's talking, he, he opens with like a re, a radio preacher story. Um, but I remember like seeing Mormon doctrine, like before the mission when I was younger and stuff, but it was always like kept away from me because of, you know, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't want me to open it up and then see all this crazy like Negro doctrine stuff in there, you know? Yeah. Um, it gets wild. Yeah, we're somewhere kind of got wild. Yeah, I did. More like, uh, more there. There's a lot of those books that are out of print now. Mm -hmm. Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, I think, is not not out of print. And before it was, like the edition that I could buy before my mission that I read before my mission was edited. It had gotten rid of some of the more controversial stuff. Mm -hmm. But even then, it still was insane just this grown man ruminating on uh i i mean we we <laughs> it might be worth pulling up just the weird stuff that he decided to put in to mormon doctrine is just bonkers to me mm -hmm. um outside of like just the obviously like racist stuff what really kind of stands out to you yeah i'm pulling it up like he Bruce R. Something about his voice too, though. He had, had like a hip, hypnotic quality to it as well. Totally did. Yeah. And just the general authority voice mm -hmm. in general, like I, uh, it's painful for me. It, it always was like getting through general conference and pretending like that was an edifying experience mm -hmm. was really difficult for me my entire life because you, I, I, it's hard to describe how it would feel to listen to old men talk like this and tell similar stories and never say anything new mm -hmm. for how many hours a weekend, like eight hours mm -hmm. of, just listening to people who look and sound the same, say the same stuff is just, uh, anyway, it, it's very triggering for me yeah. when I hear that <laughs> intonation. Mm. Here's one from uh, <laughs> Mormon Doctrine. So face cards. Uh, where'd it go? So here we go. Card playing. See apostasy, gambling, recreation, 
President Joseph F. Smith has stated the position of the church with reference to card playing in these words. Card playing is an excessive pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is intoxicating and therefore in the nature of a vice. Just the the fact that I thought that the source of that nonsense there was just the most brilliant mind on the planet Mm -hmm. is uh, just funny to me now. (laughs) Yeah. And the irony is like, Las Vegas was started by Mormons. Yeah. It's like we, <laughs> they went out and, and call it, I guess, yeah, set up all that and started developing it. And then, boom, you just created the very thing that you're telling us to avoid. So that's that's funny how it comes Absolutely. full circle. But um, so you enjoyed all this deep doctrine on your mission. Did you, like, enjoy your mission experience overall? I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Like... So I served in, and I would say that of the people you've interviewed, like I was much more the problem on my mission rather than people before who like had that overbearing ZL. Mm. I was that, I was that overbearing zone leader. Mm. And just like I uh, obeyed the rules with exactness was the, um, and, and I, so clearly I wasn't, I was reading these unapproved books and listening to stuff that wasn't approved, but it was okay. Cause I was doing it with the APs mm. as one with fellow ZLs. That's who was super into all this deep doctrine with me. So, uh, I served that whole mission thinking that, man, I'm nailing this. I got more baptisms than a lot of the other missionaries and, and I felt confident that I was being obedient with exactness and stuff. But when I look back, I was truly miserable. Like mm-hmm. I'm ashamed of a lot of the things I said and the things I did. And I'm sure the way that I made a lot of my trainees and missionaries that I supervised feel. And like, uh, so I listened back to um, Michael Moore that interview. Mm-hmm. And I think he tapped into something that is super true of me that I couldn't really put into words until I listened to that episode, which is that I learned how to not feel stuff mm-hmm. on my mission. Like I was really close with my family. We'd spend every evening, every weekend together. And I never had a rebellious phase. I was just always super about my family and then um, for two years just had no contact with them and my job was to just bother people full-time you know so Mm. so everybody you just are disliked by so many people and in the MTC I'd remember crying a lot when I'd go to bed because I miss people and Mm -hmm. and I I missed uh, like it's it's dumb but I really love the play Les Miserables yeah and I was like I'm not gonna be able to listen to that for two years that's Mm it's going to be tough to not listen to that for two years. So I'd cry most of the nights while I was in the MTC. And then one of the reasons why I think that I became so zealous and kind of lost myself a bit out there is because I did just turn off who I was so that I could stop feeling so miserable. You know? Mm, yeah. And it's lasted too. I've been home for 13 years and uh, I still, struggle a bit to connect with people you know Mm -hmm. to to trust that i can open up and and have a close relationship with others uh it takes a lot still i think and and it wasn't before i truly do feel like it's something i learned on my mission unfortunately yeah yeah that's wow that's really powerful thank you for uh opening up like that you know especially since that's a like an ongoing struggle of yours um like, does that get in the way? Because you have, like, a, a wife and, and kids, I believe. Um, does, yeah. does that ever, like, affect um, just your relationship with them, in your opinion? I, no. I mean, so when I got home from my mission, the first date I went on was a blind date. Mm-hmm. And my best friend uh, hooked, hooked that up. He got me set up with a blind date. And his date... Uh, was my now wife. They were <laughs> they were boyfriend and girlfriend when I got home from my mission. And like it uh I mean this in 
both ways that you're going to hear this mm. immediately. I was just so turned on by her. Yeah. Like, it, like, I mean, just physically, I really wanted her, but also that was the first time in two years when she like asked me about my life and my mission and, and she and I talked, it was kind of the first I ever let loose in those full two years. And I felt like she, and I still feel like she turns me back on. Yeah. And that's one. And so I never struggled to connect to her, but it's mostly like friendships. I think Mm -hmm. Um, that guy, I mean, we didn't have a fight. It wasn't a conflict. They broke up long before I started dating my wife, but uh, I'm not in touch with him anymore. Yeah. And, and it's just like, it's easier to not have them in my life a little bit than to just have the anxiety that I always feel that I'm going to do something wrong and mm. that I'm going to make them mad and, and I'm going to feel that those bad feelings again. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it's a real thing for me. Like I, <laughs> no, um, no, I definitely, I think I, I think I understand what you're getting at. Just, um, because on the mission, like you, we we do get so like hyper focused on infractions, like no, no matter how small, yeah. um, and then that that really racks up over time. So that you know, I think uh, that's common in a lot of us because we all have you know the majority of us have yet to talk to someone that doesn't have these like PTSD like dreams of the mission and yeah. Um, just the anxiety that it breeds and then you have this internal struggle but then you also have you know a guy next to you that could be a very zealous type so then you're more worried about well, what's he is he gonna snap on me what's he gonna say and that that does exactly. build up over time so now that you uh now that you bring that up I can kind of see that in myself a little bit you know just that that anxiety so that is interesting um how that happens and how it comes compounds and I still have to deal with it um so many years later um have you like been able to talk to any, any sort sort of like therapist or counselor since then has that helped at all yeah and I just do want to emphatically say that uh mental health professionals and medication that does help the uh it, it gets better. And, and one of the ways is to acknowledge that there is a, a scientific uh, body of work that's been done and, and research that's been conducted that can help you feel better. That can mm-hmm. help you connect to people. And that has made a huge difference in my life. I take, I take Wellbutrin every day mm-hmm. and it's uh, it keeps me sane. It keeps me happy. And, there's nothing wrong with that. It, be, like with the word of wisdom and stuff, um, there is this kind of faux pas in Mormon culture, I think, about chemical dependencies mm. and and addictions and stuff. But uh, the, and and it, it's the it's the greater culture as well. There's like all these movies where there's this huge moment where the person on uh, depression medication has this moment of self-actualization where they throw their meds away and they're mm. gonna they're gonna just be themselves, which is bullshit. You don't have a big moment in movies where you celebrate that a diabetic throws their insulin pump away, yeah, or someone in the wheelchair throws that away. Your mental health is part of your body, part of who you are, and if you need help to feel better just uh that's one thing i would say that is endemic in ex-mormon culture too is that uh substance abuse can become a problem Mm -hmm. and and, uh, ptsd is a big problem so just don't hesitate to seek mental health uh therapy and and medication yeah absolutely um and we were kind of talking about like um just connecting with people um and so for a lot of us, like our whole social circle is tied to the church. Um, so when the, so when we leave, um, we lose a lot of that. Um, so what's yeah. been your experience as far as like 
friendships and navigating like just interpersonal relationships since you have like formally left the church? It's been interesting. Um, so the first thing that happened is that my little family, my two babies and my wife, we did turn inward hardcore mm-hmm. and it really just uh, brought us even more together. And, and to this day, uh, just nothing that's just so clearly before everything else. Um, so that's one way that it helped a great deal is that I connected even more with my wife and, uh, it's made it so that, uh, we're, I think we're doing a good job of passing that on to our kids, Mm. but yeah, with friendships, I struggle, man. I, uh, I made some really close friends, uh, through work Mm -hmm. and, uh, we'd go over there pretty much every weekend. I would trade houses. We'll go to your house this weekend, come to my house this next weekend, just play games and everything. Um, and he's still a great friend of mine, but I just do still go a long time without reaching out to him or, Mm -hmm. uh, or anything. My wife will constantly ask me, Hey, how are Mike and Jess doing? What What's new with them? Is Mike like in, they just moved in a new house. How's the new house? And I don't know. I didn't ask because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, cause I'm kind of just keeping people at a distance a little bit. He, uh, he does a good job of reaching out to me, but uh, it's just one of the things that I am aware of it. I, I don't know how to necessarily fix it, but again, therapy has helped and mm-hmm. just kind of, acknowledging that it's a problem helps too yeah yeah absolutely um i mean i've had a lot i've had a much easier time adjusting i find um now that i live in ohio um when i look back on like the last few years um back in utah um i was experiencing a lot of the similar stuff you're describing you know just um being a lot more antisocial and I yeah. think it's just because I was like prematurely judging people that they would judge me I guess you know what I mean and I just wanted to avoid yeah. those conversations I just wanted to avoid that altogether, and that just you know made me kind of jaded because you got to walk by Temple Square and stuff and it's just thrown in your face and yeah um, you're dealing with that and so um looking back I can recognize like oh you know that was a pretty rough period of time um and just relocating I found has really opened me up to um a lot more positivity you know I've been able to like forming friendships has been a lot easier um just because all of those misconceptions are gone nobody knows anything about Mormons we'll never talk about it unless I bring it up um so it's a positive um you recently in the last few years um relocated to Florida from like a heavier LDS area um yeah has that been a benefit like in your experience it has uh I mean one difficulty is that I I worked remote even way before the pandemic I've mm-hmm. been working remote for like four years I think a uh, long time mm-hmm. so I have really great work friends but it's all a digital yeah. relationship but as I'm walking my dogs uh, around the neighborhood and interacting with the HOA and stuff uh, it is relieving to just uh, not have that context to everything we talk about mm-hmm. even if, if you're an ex-Mormon and you live in those areas you still need to kind of uh, define how you talk to people by the fact that you're an ex-Mormon. It's just mm-hmm. so such a dominant culture, I would say. Yeah. Another thing that's uh, really helped me a lot lately, and before I dig into this, just I need everybody to know, you guys can't see me, but I'm just an incredibly handsome, well-developed, uh, super wonderful guy. But uh, I'm also a big, big nerd. I started, I've started playing Dungeons and Dragons recently. 
And, and I, I, I found that that has been my church. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, because when you leave, you tend to lose the ritual. You lose the, uh, like one thing about deep doctrine, the reason why you do it is that you're a clever person and you f- you're trying to find a way to make stuff fit, right? Mm-hmm. And and that is a concept called sacred reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, one resource, if people are interested in kind of hearing more about sacred reading, would be Harry Potter and the sacred text. Mm-hmm. So the conceit is you find something that, you say this is intentional and it's perfect and it's good. And so if you find something difficult, you do this exercise of just making it work. That's a bad way to uh, learn about reality, right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good way to end up in a bunch of MLMs and, <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of thing. But in Dungeons and Dragons, you have... Uh, it's called a DM dungeon master, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just a dude. Uh, I'm, I'm a dungeon master for a couple of campaigns. And so if I say something contradictory that, that contradicts the story we've been telling or that contradicts even the rule book, what I said is true. Mm-hmm. The, the DM's word is the final word. And so it's that sacred reading. It's a context in which you can just say, this is true no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's make it work. Let's think about it that way and think deeply about it. But it's harmless. It's mm-hmm. not like there's any stakes. So it's like routine. So you get that ritual um, and and you get to do that sacred reading practice like I was talking about. It's mm-hmm. been super impactful. It's it's really been a, an awesome part of my life now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, community is very important, you know. Um and like we mentioned, you know, like the church was that for, you know, most of us, if not all of us. Um, and like pre-pandemic, you know, something that was helping me was just really like delving into like an arts, like an artistic community, you know. Um, so you, yeah, that's the best thing, whether physical or digital, just like kind of getting out of your shell a little bit and delving into um some different some different areas maybe some new interests can be very beneficial for you um but i could see how your your missionary experience kind of can tie into your uh your dungeons and dragons experience with your your leadership qualities yeah yeah, yeah. it's a, i think i'm a much kinder <laughs> uh person kinder leader now um, than I was on my mission. Like I, um, just it, 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 like I was saying, I thought at the time, like I, while I was going through the mission, I thought I was enjoying it. But when I do look back, it's all anxiety and a lot of the flaws about my character mm-hmm. got developed then. So, uh, it's, it is kind of, it is pretty healing to have this like leadership role where everyone's committed the only stakes are that everybody is having fun. And so, uh, and I even like, as your kind and benevolent DM, that's a phrase I say all the time. Mm. Let me let you know that there's this thing that you're forgetting about that could cause you to have some trouble down the road. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a good way to exercise a few ghosts from my past. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Um, just kind of winding down. Um, we've kind of covered a lot. We've back and forth a lot, but what were, um, some of your like really shelf breaking like moments for you? Like, and when did that occur? Yeah, there were a lot of different moments. I remember one time when I was, uh, pretty like deacon age, I think, um, we were talking about the priesthood and somehow the issue of blacks and the priesthood Mm. came up in that lesson. And that was my first time hearing about that. Mm -hmm. And it really affected me to the point where I asked to leave to go to the bathroom. I just went and I found my dad and asked him to go to the chapel with me and just kind of talk this out. Um, I can't remember what he said, honestly. 
I just remember not feeling satisfied about it at all. Mm. And then the weird part was uh, the next, in my memory, it was like the next day or just really close to when I had that discussion with my dad, the movie God's Army came out. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that in theaters and there's that scene where they talk about it. And what I appreciated, and to this day, I appreciate Richard Dutcher for this, the, the writer and director mm-hmm. and actor in the movie, is that he, he kind of dealt with it. He didn't sugarcoat the issue. Um, he didn't solve the problem whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, I left it and, and still, like, I was like, I feel like that guy. Mm-hmm. But the resolution that he gave didn't make sense to me. Um, so that was a big major deal. Could have been my uh, limit breaker, but... I just shelved it and then um, tons of stuff all throughout my life. But what really um, broke the shelf was I got kind of into the new atheist movement mm-hmm. that, that it was going on like between like 2007, 2013 with like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and the four horsemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what I would do is I'd watch these debates and like, this is going to come up and I need to be able to show atheists why they're dumb. And so I want to watch these debates so I can learn these arguments mm. and the atheists were always making sense. And it was really entertaining to me. Like I, I just liked uh, how clever they were about pointing out different things. And so I, I watched a lot of it and I started reading those books and eventually just got, deconverted from the concept of God that way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily that I learned that Joseph Smith uh, was a liar about a few things. And it wasn't like the church history stuff. I, I lost my faith in God first because the uh, his existence didn't make any more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then all of the other stuff fit into place. Then I, when I was able to look at the church from a secular lens, uh, I was able to see all of the problems with the doctrine and with the church history and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, since all of that happened, like, do you ever miss it? I missed, uh, I miss singing. Like I missed having an excuse to sing with a bunch of people at the same time mm-hmm. once a week. Yeah. Like I always enjoyed that, like seeing the hymns and, and singing like, I, the first verse, I'm going to sing the tenor line, and mm-hmm. second verse, I'm going to sing the bass line, and uh, I want to sing the melody on the third verse. Like I, I love that, so I, I miss that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like by the time Elders Quorum rolled around, I know it's different now. I think it's shorter, but but that third block was killer, man. I I was always just felt so drained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time that third block rolled around and everyone's in elders quorum talking about the same stuff they do every week. Mm-hmm. What was, uh, you seem like if you could hide to uh, Kolob, kind of a guy to me, what was, <laughs> yeah. what, was your, what was your favorite hymn to sing? I, I liked if you could hide a Kolob. That was a, that was a good one. Um, I liked some of the weird ones that mm. weren't as common, like, uh, an angel from on high, you know, that one. I don't think I know that one. Well, not yeah. by name, but I mean, if I heard the the melody and stuff, I, I probably might recognize it. It has two different uh, time signatures. Um, uh, like it goes, an angel from on high, the long dark silence broke. And so that's like the first little bit. And then it changes completely. It's like, then in Camorra's lonely hill, sacred record lies concealed oh yeah mm-hmm. so i just really liked that huge transition in that that was a really good one and i always was asked to sing um uh poor wave daring man of grief that's a, yeah that's a good one president would all the time like talk about carthage and, mm-hmm. and he'd be like and then whoever that was i forget his name the guy who sang that at carthage sing this song Elder Barker will sing it for us. <laughs> so that came up pretty often. Yeah, Tanner, I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and sing that song for all of us right now, if you would. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> no, no, that, no, that would be, you. that would be, <laughs> you just deliver this beautiful, like, Step Brothers esque rendition. 
like the Catalina wine mixer right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that Tanner Barker was a beautiful voice. Um, I too like some of the more obscure ones though. Like, um, cause you would, well, I would dig through on my mission. Just like, I, I need to listen to something different something new. What's some weird hymn I haven't heard. Um, I, I liked, um, as the dew from heaven distilling, if you know that one. I thought that yeah, one I do a, know that one. That was a, <laughs> I'd never really heard it, but I was like, this one's kind of, this one kind of slaps. This one's pretty nice. That was one of the sacrament ones, right? I'd never heard it in a sacrament meeting. I, I learned, I just came I across think... it on a CD on my mission, one of the little hymnals. Was it approved, Elder? And, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't get into the deep doctrine stuff until... I was in my first area for like seven transfers. Um, and so it wasn't until like my second area. It started to relax a little bit, you could say. Yeah, that was that was my, like I spent um, by far the most of my mission just kind of in Denver area. But uh, out on the Western Slope um, was where I, kind of relaxed one of my former companions one of the, my trainees was like elder barker you're going to go to the western slope and your blood pressure is going to drop like crazy you're going to lose that stick in your butt is exactly what he said mm. and i kind of did that's when i like started reading these deep doctrine books that weren't approved and listening to those mp3s and stuff mm. yeah you, you probably went swimming a couple times no, no i did no, not do that never <laughs> i was still I was still out knocking. Like I, I never got to that point where I was like, "We're gonna just gonna stay in today or go swimming or anything like that." In my mind, that was the big stuff. Like, <laughs> it's okay for me to read all this extra stuff, but those were the big rules I had to keep. Yeah, no, I never uh, would have felt comfortable doing any of that stuff like my own. Um, but when you have like just some bad companions, sometimes there's no choice. So I, I I sat through uh, my share of Bollywood films. Yeah. Every now and then, in telenovelas, I had a, a companion that really was into those. It's like, okay, don't beat me up. I'll watch your your little shows with you. That's fine with me. Um, yeah, I was I was feeling for you when you. So you, I don't know when, but you told that story of your trainer, right? That that. Uh, was it your trainer that wanted to fight you or whatever? Um, my trainer was cool, but I had uh, this Nigerian companion. We were in the same MTC um, group. Okay. Mm. Um, so I was like, yeah, this would be awesome. Like, we're MTs. And it was awesome for like a week. And then he just really totally yeah. flipped on me. Um, I, I, I loved my trainer. Elder Derry was this Ghanaian guy. Um, sweet dude. The only time I ever got close to any sort of like altercation with him was I was, like, making a simple joke, like a harmless joke, I thought. Um, but we were about to contact this compound, and I, like, opened the gate for him. I'm like, ladies first. And he yeah. just stopped in his tracks and, like, balled his fist, and he just, like, looked like he just wanted to beat me down. I was like, bro, like, it's just a joke. Like, in America, this is a joke. I don't mean anything. But he was just like, you don't ever talk to me like that. All right, well, let's go. Yeah. Let's go have a spirit-filled <laughs> lesson right now. There's no spirit of contention here. Um, but other than that, he was very, very nice guy. But he was like 28. They would let okay. them come out like way later. So I'm like this little 19-year-old and this big, yeah. this jacked 28-year-old man <laughs> is like consulted by me. I'm like, okay. But um, yeah, that was like just the. There's a lot of machismo culture in my mission like you had to be super manly but at the same time there was a ton of that like uh, gay play that that hal was talking about mm -hmm. all the time like missionaries just really flirting with each other almost like you're in prison or something yeah. <laughs> you know like uh that it's just kind of a weird phenomenon to me but just like Missionaries flirt with each other all the time. <laughs> That's why that those websites that you write for, yeah, so so so, so, so popular. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I was in an apartment with two guys. 
Um, and they had like a, they called their companionship like a Zion companionship. So they like totally like shared everything right down the middle. But like one of them would uh, make the other breakfast like every morning, like very sweet. They were like a little married couple a little bit in the apartment. I would have loved that. I'm like looking yeah. at going back. I'm like, man, I should have flirted with some of my companions more or something. Get some, some oatmeal in the morning. I kind of had that where like with one companion specifically where we just have this like, I can't even, like we had verbiage for it, but we were just trying to outdo each other with niceness. Mm. So like I would try to wake up early enough that I could shine his shoes and make him the lunch that we were going to take with us. And, but he would already be up and he'd be shining my shoes <laughs> or I don't know, just like all kinds of little stuff like that. Like, Oh, uh, cause we had these, this like chore list. Here's what we're going to clean. Both of us were real kind of finicky about keeping the apartment super clean. And so we had like a chores list. Mm-hmm. So that we do on P day, but by the time I'd wake up to start my chores, he'd already done them. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely had that with one specific companion. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's you know, it's not all bad. You know, you have some you have some good times. Um, but just kind of in closing, like, is there anything um, I haven't asked that you you wanted to speak on? I think, yeah, just another reason why I think that if your podcast is anything, I think it's becoming this document that could be a warning to people who are maybe thinking about going on their mission. Yeah. Um, I would love for less people to go on their missions. I I'm with you that I, I don't have a huge beef necessarily with the Mormon church. Like I love so many Mormons. That's the major reason why I want the Mormon church to get better. I, I want it to eventually be that, you know, homosexuality is accepted and women have the priesthood and stuff. I want the church to succeed for those people. It'll mm-hmm. be better. But uh, missions are, are bad. Like one of the things that we talked about in our mission, there's this uh, concept that obedience is greater than sacrifice, mm-hmm. which is in the temple, right? That you uh, you commit to be obedient before sacrifice. But So that's the major thing is that if you want to be happy, you want to succeed, you have to be exactly obedient. But then sometimes you're still not baptizing. Nobody's listening to you. Your investigator didn't show up to church. And so it's all, it's obviously your fault. Mm. That's what's wrong is you. So then we'd go and we're like, we're being exactly obedient. Let's sacrifice. So we would fast um, while we're out knocking and riding bikes, like not eat, not safe in the uh, middle of, you know, the summer and the heat without coming back to the apartment. Um, we do, we'd call them mail fasts mm-hmm. where we would save all of the mail we got and we wouldn't open it until P day. We would only open mail on P day. And just uh, now that I look back, it's just giving these little slices of your own humanity over um no wonder I ended up just kind of not being the funnest leader to deal with because I just kind of got lost in it and uh, just other things like uh, calling in sick. Did you, was your, what was your calling in sick protocol? Did you even have one? Um, if you weren't feeling well, like obviously you would just, um, you would call like the mission, mission president's wife. Yeah. Um, and she would just tell you to drink water like more often than not. Um, so a lot of the guys that maybe had like long or severe bouts with like diarrhea or something like that. Um, you could, you could kind of stay in the apartment for a little bit and recoup. Um, but people weren't really like going to any doctors or anything. Yeah. We'd have to, it was uh, drink a ginger ale and go to work. That was what we'd mm. get told anytime you'd call in. I broke my wrist on my mission mm. in a bike accident. And uh, so I'd knock doors for like, I don't know, months with a broken wrist. And, uh, and then they had to take off my cast. It wasn't healed yet. 
but they had to take it off so they could do a CAT scan because they thought that there were like floating particles or something mm. that piece, a piece of my bone had dislodged because I was still in so much pain yeah. that it wasn't normal. I wasn't recovering as fast as I should. So they took it off to get the CAT scan. And then the next day I was going to go to the doctor and get my cast put on again. Well, I just still knocked all day. I rode my bike uh, home from the hospital. We went directly to like appointments with investigators and still mm. knocked while I had a broken wrist <laughs> and I was miserable. I was yeah. in so much pain. And I, and I would tell that story uh, so proud mm-hmm. back when I believed and it makes me really sad, yeah. especially now that the missionaries are younger mm-hmm. that just don't feel that way. That's not a safe thing that you should feel ever for any organization. Mm-hmm. You can't just take care of yourself and respect your own health and your own mm-hmm. well-being, you know? Yeah. And and to your point about, like, you know, being kind of a, a warning to uh, potential missionaries, like, that is one um, promising trend. It seems like this, uh, the younger generation, like, is way more in tune with, like, mental health you know, concerns, like, they have the vocabulary around it. Um, I didn't really understand anxiety when I was 19. I, I didn't really know that as a concept or depression or any of those things. Um, and when you don't know those things and you've been conditioned to behave like you've been um, conditioned to behave, you know, it does lead to that kind of, that self-sacrifice that you twist into righteousness. It's it's a very kind of sick, at you know, when you think about it at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, like hopefully, you know, people that are listening to this won't have to go through that. That sounds freaking just horrible. Months you did that? Yeah. With no cast, yeah, was... like you never went to the doctor? For oh, no, no, no. I, so, so it was just a day that I didn't have a cast, but I could have, you know, crippled myself. I yeah. could have severely, there was a floating particle in my wrist. A, a bone that had broken off and I was out knocking doors with that, riding my bike. Mm. Uh, yeah. just, and it was never even a second thought to me. Like I'm, of course, I'm not going to go back to the apartment. We go back to the apartment at nine. I'm out till yeah. nine. Man. There's no other way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> or if you kept like getting knocked off your bike every day or something and landing on that same wrist, like, ugh, that would have been horrific. Yeah. The, the most colorful way I could convey it to, uh, someone who hasn't experienced it. There's an author named David Wong. Mm-hmm. He, re- he wrote some cool books that have the best titles ever. Uh, this book is full of spiders. Seriously, bro, don't touch it. That's mm-hmm. one of them. <laughs> John dies at the end. Um, is another one, but he taught, he said, anxiety feels like rats are eating my soul mm-hmm. and depression feels like they finished. Mm. Wow. He said that was David Gong. David Wong. David Wong. His real name is Jason Pargent, but okay. his uh, our author name is David Wong. Wong wow. wow. Yeah, that's a good quote. Yeah, I'll have to look into him. Um, well, I guess uh, we've been going about a little over an hour, um, so I'll let you go. But I really appreciate you for you know being willing to come on here and and share your story and you know get a little vulnerable with me and I hope you got some benefit out of it. Yeah, it was good to, I didn't know what I wanted to say necessarily, <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think that just, I, I got a lot out of it because I just do feel like that if they changed and missions became like other churches do, or like I'm going to go and do humanitarian aid, mm-hmm. that would be great. Yeah. But what you're doing is summer sales. That's what... Mm-hmm that's what a mission is <laughs> you're just it's a huge sales culture oh yeah and it's pretty mis- miserable and and it'll mess you up just uh look at me if you need some evidence <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, if you're in utah for school or something after your mission don't get uh roped into all of those sales jobs because there's so many they, they just put you right back into it yeah that happens all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh yeah man uh once again thank you for coming on and definitely don't be a stranger yeah i appreciate it i'll be in touch i love listening back to the episodes and stuff so thank you so much awesome thank you man have it take it easy bye yeah you too bye-bye
listening to a Focal Point podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.